0: All right, so we are back after a few months here, and uh, we are doing another installment of the Foundations. Here is the uh, sixth, actually the seventh covenant that we're looking at, but we did the first two covenants in one session, so you could see the transition from the Edenic to the Adamic covenant. So here we're in our sixth installment of our Foundation series, looking at how God has structured fellowship with mankind uh, throughout history and the promises that he's given to man especially to Israel that he is going to fulfill in the book of Revelation and that's our purpose here is primarily to get the background of Revelation because when you come to the 66th book in the canon um, you want to make sure that all the pieces ahead of time have lined up so that the interpretation is uh, sound once you get there. So here is probably one of the most important covenants, I think, uh, when dealing with revelation, because this deals with the messianic king uh, that will come from the line of Israel. So first, we're going to do a little bit of review uh, that there was a seed promise given in in Genesis. This is a bit more distracting than I thought it would be. no, that looks cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so again, when dealing with covenants, we want to make sure we understand what we're talking about. We're talking about biblical covenants. Um, so this is not a theological covenant, not one that we have um, imposed on the text. But when we look at the text, we, we come to understand these covenants through actual uh, passages that we can cite and say this is where this covenant is taught. Um, So a biblical covenant is a contract between man and God communicated through understandable language to govern responsible fellowship behavior. So these deal with saved peoples. It is not dealing with how you become saved. A covenant applies to someone in scripture once they are saved and in the fold of God's people. And it's God's instructions for how they ought to live especially when dealing with Israel, whom he gave five of the eight covenants. Uh, So we have already gone through the Edenic covenant, uh, which governed life in innocence in the Garden of Eden, and the Edemic covenant, which uh, told man how to live now that they were uh, fallen in sin nature and uh, in a fallen world. If you want more on these two covenants, we did this back in January. Um, so you can look at our previous study on that, and I've also just recently finished teaching these at my church. Um, so you can look at uh, at Tacoma Grace Bible Church on YouTube and find the Edenic Covenant and the Adamic Covenant. The Noaic Covenant dealt uh, with life after the flood, uh, God's changing economies. Uh, now that man was being restored to the earth after increased wickedness before the flood. And the Abrahamic covenant uh, came out of the Tower of Babel. The reason God needed a peculiar people, a specific nation, was because of the failures of uh, Nimrod, who was not God's man, but he was the man of the world's choosing, uh, who put himself up as the ruler over the world at Babel. Uh, so that was a one-world government that failed, and God needed a nation that he could preserve through the world, so that's why he began dealing with Israel as a peculiar people, so he could carve out uh, the people who would carry his word forward, um, who would bring the line of the Messiah forward, and uh, who would eventually uh, be the nation over which God rules the world, or through which God rules the world. So that was the Abrahamic covenant, and that's really the core covenant um, of all of these covenants. Everything deals uh, with the Abrahamic covenant. The Mosaic covenant comes along to regulate those blessings so that a faithless generation does not receive the full benefit of the Abrahamic covenant, which they own. Um, so they couldn't just act any way they wanted and receive this, uh, the benefits, though they did not lose ownership of it uh, for disobedience. It would pass on to a later generation that would be faithful. Uh, And then the land covenants, Davidic covenant, and new covenant are all amplifications of different promises given in the Abrahamic covenant, and those are land, seed, and blessing. So we see here how those last five covenants interact together. The Abrahamic covenant, which promised to Israel unconditional land, seed, and blessing. Um, are amplified in these three covenants and then the mosaic covenant comes along to regulate it um, for each generation Uh, that's why we get uh, that pattern in numbers the book of numbers where the first generation fails uh, to live up to this mosaic covenant by continually grumbling against god and uh, basically doing everything wrong so that god's patience wears thin and he says none of you will enter into the land but he gives it to the second generation and they are faithful and they enter into the land. Um, this is how the Mosaic Covenant functions to regulate the blessings of the Abrahamic Covenant. And it was done away with, it was fulfilled or completed in Christ uh, because Christ has been faithful to the Mosaic Covenant. He is he has the right to become the ruler, the seed promised through the Abrahamic Covenant. Uh, and that's really what the book of Revelation is is presenting. In fact, I think I might have mentioned this before, but uh, some uh, Bible students called the book of Revelation the fifth gospel, because the gospels deal with the earthly life of Christ. And that's what Revelation is giving us. Without the book of Revelation, none of the four gospels are complete, uh, because he goes off to heaven and says, I will return. Uh, The fifth gospel is revelation, essentially. It teaches us more about the earthly life of Christ, but it's that earthly life of Christ that is yet to come. All right. So, when dealing here with the Davidic covenant, we have to go back to an early, um, an early promise that God gave to mankind, and that is all the way back in Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen, the promise of a seed. Uh, So in Genesis 3.15, we read, I will put enmity between you and the woman, this is God speaking to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, this seed is the Hebrew word zera, and it's a cumulative noun, which means that it can either be singular or plural in sense, similar to deer or sheep where we, we don't really have a plural of those words because we talk about them using a singular word to talk about a group. However, uh, you see in this second to last line, the pronoun used to refer back to this uh, antecedent is a singular masculine noun. This is pointing this seed, it's narrowing down the scope um, to a single seed uh, fulfillment and we we find that fulfillment now living in the church age we look back and see that that was fulfilled through Jesus Christ but for Adam and Eve they didn't know who this seed would be in fact this is one thing I'm teaching on next week at my church is uh uh is the belief from Eve or of Eve that uh, Cain was the promised seed uh So it's through the progress of revelation that we come to understand more about this seed, but it's really the first promise we're given of a redeemer, and it grows and it amplifies. So this promise becomes uh, really an all-consuming theme of scripture. When we get to Genesis 15, the covenant that God makes with Abraham, uh, there's promised to him a very great reward. Uh, God comes to him after he uh, conquers the the uh, armies of Sodom and can't remember, there's a whole bunch of other weird names, but uh, go read Genesis 14. And you'll see why I don't remember any of them. He says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. So God is promising Abraham a reward for his faithfulness, but Abraham responds, oh Lord, what will you give me since I am childless? His concern is, I have no seed, I have no lineage, I have no one to pass on these blessings to. Abraham understood God was not promising him something temporary, something temporal, uh, but the, he had given him, uh, he has given him this promise from back in Genesis 12 of land, seed, and blessing. Um, he says, uh, who shall be my heir? Should it be Eliezer of Damascus? And God says, uh, No, it'll be one from your own body. So that's uh, Genesis 15, 4. This man will not be your heir, um, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. So this is again, narrowing down that seed promise so that just about in every generation, we have the line of the Messiah narrowed down to a single single possible line. And that... uh, that should really speak to us because we, we think of, uh, of Noah's Ark, the eight people on it, that that's a bottleneck uh, of humanity, but every single generation had a bottleneck for the Messiah, that when it was reconfirmed to them that the line of the Messiah would come through this one specific seed. It was reconfirmed to Isaac, and that's why uh, any uh, good biblical scholar would deny that Esau... Shares in the uh, the blessings and the promises given to Isaac, as well in uh, Genesis 28, it is reconfirmed to Jacob. So we know that uh, whoever is from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, is part of Israel, and it's not just anyone who is born from Abraham or born from Isaac. Um, in fact, those Born from Esau, Isaac's brother, became perennial enemies of Israel. That's uh, Moab and Ammon. So, this uh, seed promise is then again reconfirmed through Jacob. It says, I will give to you and to your descendants this land. Uh, We looked at that when we saw the land promise. And it's also promised that this seed won't just be a continual descendant, but we see when God reconfirms this to Judah, um, that it also has to do with rulership. So he says in Genesis 49 verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So we see that this line will go through Judah as well. At this point, Israel becomes a nation in their history. When we get into the book of Exodus, under the Mosaic law, uh, we see that Israel has now become a nation, a nation which can have a king, which can have a ruler over it, not just a family, um, but a nation with a law code. Here in Deuteronomy 17, we see God orchestrating how uh, how that nation should operate under a king when they do request a king. And so he says in Deuteronomy 17, 14, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you and you possess it and live in it, you shall say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. You shall surely set a king over you. So God says, yes, you will set a king over you, but it will be a king whom the Lord your God chooses. And from among your countrymen, you shall set as a king over yourselves. And you may not put a foreigner over yourselves uh, who is not your countryman. So God's telling them, yes, you will have a king. They should be remembering back to his promise that this scepter would not pass from Judah uh, because they are going to try to install a king and they will succeed in installing a king, but he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Um, So it's obviously not the king of God's choosing. Um, whom he said would he would give an eternal kingdom to. So here in 1 Samuel 8, uh, we see how Saul became king. Uh, 1 Samuel 8, 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations." So Israel perceived that the line of judges was failing, and they sought a king so they could be more like the nations around them rather than that peculiar nation that God pulled out um, from the other nations so that they would not be like the other nations. So he continues, but the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel uh, when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being being king over them so god had operated as king over them and god intends to be king over them uh, through jesus Uh, but here the people are calling for a king and god says all right let them have a king There's other places where God calls Israel a very stiff-necked people, and uh, some have said that the book of Revelation shows us the tribulation period where God breaks the neck of the stiff-necked people uh, to turn their face back to him. Uh, So here God is recognizing these people are going to do what they want to do, let them do it, because they haven't rejected Samuel the prophet, uh, the judge, they have rejected God. So Samuel says, or Samuel uh, Samuel does this, it says thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. So they gambled and found that Benjamin um, was the randomly selected tribe. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families and the Matrite family was taken and Saul the son of Kish was taken. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Now, God does bless Saul because he has blessed Israel, though they chose a king when God had not told them to seek a king. And though they chose a king uh, by lot, God is still going to protect and bless Israel uh, so long as they remain faithful under this king. Um, However, this king did not remain faithful. God's blessing did not remain on him. Uh, And finally, um, Samuel, who was, or uh, rather Saul, who was from the tribe of Benjamin and not from the tribe of Levi, uh, took upon him the duties of the tribe of Levi and sacrificed uh, to the Lord. And that was the sin that finally uh, tipped the scales. He had practiced all sorts of other idolatries, uh, which are Uh, which are uh, sins that God could have removed him for, but his long suffering with uh, Saul is evident uh, in 1 Samuel uh, 8 through 15. But finally, when Saul offers that offering, Samuel comes to him and says, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So Saul, um, acting as king over Israel, rejected the Lord, did not obey him in the way that he had um, taught Saul, and so Um, Saul was rejected by God and Samuel said to Saul I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel and as Samuel turned to go Saul seized the edges of his robe and it tore so Samuel said to him the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind For he is not a man that he should change his mind. So at this time, when God removed this kingdom from Saul, he gave it to the man of his own choosing. In Deuteronomy 17, where it says, you shall put a man over you, the man of my choosing, um, God was referring to the Messiah. But now that they have chosen a king here early on and the kingdom has become a kingdom, God gives it to a descendant of the one who would become the Messiah. And of course, this is all known in the foreknowledge of God. Uh, And David becomes a type of the one who God chose his own son. So uh, this king of God's own choosing in 1 Samuel 16, we see um, how God chose David and told Saul or Samuel of God's choosing. So it says, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. And when Saul, or sorry, Samuel gets there, uh, we see a couple verses later in verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and that just means uh, red, blushed, or red hair, perhaps, uh, with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So here is one Old Testament reference of an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it was for special, um, a special anointing for a special purpose. God acts the same way he acted with David in the New Testament, but it's for every single believer. Um, so that's just a little aside here where there was a special anointing for David. Every single uh, believer in the New Testament church age Uh, receives this anointing uh, of the Holy Spirit so uh, but the point here is the king of God's choosing he is now narrowed down to the line of David and he is also uh, he has also built the kingdom here which the Lord will take